Welcome to Pottery Visited episode 48. I'm Tori. And I'm Shay. Today we are jumping into chapter 11 of Prisoner of Azkaban, The Firebolt. Or, as we like to call it, the right thing the wrong way. Yeah, so this chapter kind of opens up with the aftermath of Harry eavesdropping the pr- with the professors at Hogsmeade in the last chapter where he finds out like the harrowing news that Sirius Black is not only after him to kill him, but he's also what he believes, the reason his parents are dead and he's also his godfather. And he's just like kind of hit with these very strong and kind of scary emotions right now. Yeah, he's just sort of sitting there and like reveling in like the realization that like Sirius Black wasn't just a bad guy who was a bad guy that did bad things. He was his parents' best friend, their confidant, someone they trusted, and they were betrayed. And I think betrayal is a new thing for Harry. He's just learning. Yeah, it's like he lost part of his innocence because, like, Harry, like James, is very much attached to his friends and, like, him, Ron, and Hermione are so close. And I think the idea that, like, your friends could betray you is very, like, unnerving. Shocking. Yeah. They're the only thing Harry can really rely on in his life right now is his friends. And the idea that there's a world where they could betray him is ground shattering for him. And Harry's like questioning why no one ever told him. Like he lists off Dumbledore, obviously, <laughs> but and Hagrid and Mr. Weasley. And he's like, why no, did no one tell him? And like, I kind of feel Harry right now because overhearing something that someone's kept from you, like like accidentally finding something out is way worse than like someone telling you face to face. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like a lot of the story could be fixed with, you know, someone just telling Harry what's going on. Open and honest communication. Yeah. Because <laughs> Harry's feeling like a course of anger and all these other emotions that he's never felt before. Yeah, they, they describe it as hatred coursing through Harry like poison. And I think that's that's very, very well worded and yeah. really well done because like, Like poison, it sort of grows and it lingers and like it can turn you rotten if you don't work on it. You know, if he just sat there and let it fester, it would only get worse and it builds like that and it runs through his veins and it's really, really invocative choice of language. Yeah, and looking through like the photo album Hager gave him and looking at photos of like a young Sirius Black and his father's friends, Harry's thinking about Sirius Black, his father and Peter Pettigrew. And he imagines Peter Pettigrew as Neville, which I thought was very interesting because I think it's been discussed a lot that Neville is what Peter Pettigrew could have been had he not make made the choices he did. Yeah, there are definitely quite a few uh, correlations between like modern characters and the Marauders. Neville and Peter being sort of the most talked about one, where basically Neville is Peter if Peter had chosen to value his friendship over his own personal safety. And then Harry is very much obviously his father, James. But Harry is James if James didn't sort of have such an ego. And then Hermione, to an extent, is Lupin. And I think this one's interesting because in most cases, it's the modern generation version of these comparisons that sort of has the missing character trait or makes the right choice. But I sort of think in this case, Lupin and Hermione are both like the smart ones, the both sort of like the outsiders from a certain perspective. But I think what differentiates them is Lupin has stronger communication skills. And I think that is a the significant difference between those two. And then Ron and Sirius are sort of the other comparison with the difference being that like Sirius came from a family that mistreated him and ran on hatred and was very judgmental and very big on status. And Ron came from the opposite, just like a loving family that valued each other 
and love and friendship. Doing the right thing. Over status. Yeah. They were the polar opposite. And so it's the families that shaped them into the different people they sort of had to become. Yeah. So Ron and Hermione are very worried about Harry. Like they had this conversation with him, which I, I wrote as like a come to Jesus moment where they're just like, Harry, like, I know that you're upset and this is very upsetting, but please do not go looking after Sirius Black. Like they're just very like scared almost. I mean, Harry does end up going looking for trouble at times. He goes for the right reasons, but he does often go in the direction of danger. Yeah, but I feel like this is like a pretty, the most angry, like they've never seen him like this before. And it was a big trauma dump for him to like hear this accidentally. And they're, they're honestly pretty worried, but also they're teenagers. So like, what do you, you can't really help in that kind of situation all you can do is be supportive with like the information you have but harry's like laying some like pretty serious like trauma on ron and hermione like he tells them that like he hears his mom's last words when the dementors come near and ron and hermione are like trying to be good friends and they're listening to him and trying to be helpful but they're also like teenagers they don't know what to do and i feel like this is when harry should really have like a therapist or an adult to talk to about these feelings because ron and hermione can't help him at this point. Yeah, I think to an extent, Dumbledore doesn't want Harry to properly deal with his emotions because I think the fact that Harry never has time to sort of work out his trauma like a regular person through talking and through therapy sort of like makes it easier for him to hyperfixate on the cause of all my suffering and all my misery is Voldemort and I must destroy him. Interesting. Like not letting Harry deal with his issues and overcome them internally makes it easier for him to externalize them and direct them at Voldemort. So like by not letting Harry treat his illnesses or cope with his struggles or overcome his vendettas and really learn to cope with what's happened to him, Dumbledore sort of almost encourages the opposite. He's like, don't look within yourself. Don't talk about it. Don't share think about how it's Voldemort's fault. He like wants that hatred of Voldemort to fester inside Harry. Terrible, terrible person. Horrendous. Ron mentions Harry killing Sirius Black and then there's this awkward pause because Harry has been thinking about killing Sirius Black. Like that's like kind of like his emotions are kind of leading him towards that because all he's really thinking about now is like revenge and redemption and like things that a 13 year old shouldn't be thinking about like these are big feelings that I, he can't really comprehend and I think it also kind of scares Ron and Hermione because they've never seen Harry like this yeah and it, it's above them and it just shows that like Hogwarts should have therapy <laughs> yeah it really does everyone needs therapy Harry's just I think it's hard, like, it's easy to think something in your head, like Harry's in his head thinking, oh, I'm going to find him and I'm going to kill him. And when Ron and Hermione sort of vocalize it, it sort of takes him back a step. Like, he he doesn't want to say, yes, I'm going to kill. Like, it's hard to admit that you want to kill someone. That's horrible. So it's kind of like he's thinking it so freely in his head, them vocalizing that sort of pulls him back a bit. And he's like, oh, wait, like killing someone. Is it like, I'm not just, I want to kill him to see, like, it's, the whole context of killing someone and the repercussions of killing someone and just like yeah because he does reference that he thinks Azkaban's too good for Black because he references that the Dementors don't harm Sirius Black and he wants to, him to feel harm because he feels all these feelings of like he basically robbed him of a family and a life that he could have had and he's like jail's too good for him like he needs something worse like he wants him to be punished he wants vengeance not justice yeah and there's some foreshadowing here uh ron mentions that all they could find of peter Pettigrew was a finger afterwards which comes back later is all they find of 
Peter Pettigrew and noticed the scabbers is missing a finger. Is it called a finger on a mouse or a rat? Or is it like a... A toe, isn't it? A toe. You're right. It's a toe. They don't have hands. They have feet. They're all feet. Really? All... F- but, but rats hold things in their hands. I think it's weird to call something feet if you can like pick something up and hold it with it regularly. And I've seen rats eat grapes and they hold it in their paws like little hands. But if it was a back one, then Pettigrew wouldn't be missing a finger. He'd be missing a toe. <laughs> Deep dive. On limbs. Appendages. Ron Hermione are obviously trying to like, you know, it's Christmas. Everyone's gone for the holidays except for like Harry, Ron Hermione and Gryffindor Tower. So um, they're trying to get Harry to, like, you know, not focus on Sirius Black and like the betrayal to his parents. So they're trying to like, let's focus on anything else. They're on Operation Distract Harry. So like, let's go visit Hagrid. And, and Harry's just like, sure, I'm going to ask him why he didn't tell me about Sirius Black and my parents. I'm going to let him have it. And they're like, oh, okay, great. Not what we were hoping for. But anywho, they're just, they're talking about like it's winter and they're walking out to the forest and it sounds so beautiful and serene and I know it's full of like giant spiders and stuff but it sounds like like somewhere I would take my dog for a walk like it seems like it would be just beautiful to walk through that forest in the winter I want to so when they get to Hagrid's place, he's actually very upset and like unconsolable and I love Hagrid but these kids basically have to take on the adult role and uh, and comfort him like uh, Hermione's like giving up, op- like we find out that Buckbeak has been um, in- under investigation. So if they find him negligent, they're going to kill him because he's dangerous and Hagrid's very upset about it. And so Hermione is trying to give him like, you know, some suggestions and advice. And Harry in- is like for Hagrid, he's like, okay, I'm not going to yell at him for what he didn't tell me. I'm going to comfort him. It's very adult of Harry when he discovers what Hagrid's going through emotionally with Buckbeak to like, put his own personal anger and frustration on hold and like let that go on the back burner and understand that like Hagrid's current struggle is more immediate and pressing and like acknowledge that he'll bring it up later. This isn't the time to yell at Hagrid for not telling him about Sirius. I think that's very mature of Harry. Then Ron's like, I'll make some tea, which is my go-to. Yeah, I find Ron offering to make tea is, is it's like everything. It's so perfect because when I'm sad, I want a cup of tea. It's very comforting, but also it's such a, depiction of like I guess when you're feeling emotional like it's almost like a motherly thing to do yeah like it's such a warm and loving just like I'll make you like I don't know what you're going through I can't really understand what you're feeling all these emotions but I can make a cup of tea I feel like Ron in the earlier books isn't great with like emotional times as we see like later in the book so I feel like that's something that's like it's like not directly helpful but it's something nice to do that show like oh I care about you going through this really hard time so I'm gonna do something nice for you it's something he can physically do that's comforting because he doesn't really know what words to use it's like something I do all the time like that time that you and your boyfriend broke up and you were really upset and I didn't know what to do so I just made you a cup of tea I'm sure I didn't like him that much anyway I also think that, like, in my mind, Ron's doing that because when something's wrong with him, I can picture Miss Weasley doing that. Like, she's like, okay, Ron, we're going to talk about it. We'll have a cup of tea. I feel like it's definitely a very learned mood. Yeah, he brings a cup of tea. She would sit down next to him and say, Ron, are you okay? Let's talk about it. And I feel like it just feels like he comes from such a place of warmth that that's his, like, okay, I'll I'll make the tea. It's cozy and it's loving. And I love that for Ron. Now, during this time, Hagrid opens up about his uh, time in Azkaban because he's worried if he does anything to help Buckbeak he'll go back into Azkaban and how like the whole board of control magical creatures is corrupt and he's just like really scared and the way he describes it sounds absolutely terrible like you're filled with just like this absolute dread which is on like par for it being a way to describe depression 
Yeah. And also, like, reliving all, like, his worst moments, like, when his dad died and, like, when he got expelled from school. And, like, yeah, it does sound really awful. It's horrible. Honestly, the Dementors making the prisoners depressed feels like cruel and unusual punishment. Like, wouldn't it be better in the long term to put prisoners in, like, a state that's, like, not happy necessarily because they need to learn from their mistakes, but, like, sort of like a sleepy lull, almost like being a bit stoned so that, like, they're chill, they're more docile, and if there's someone whose sentence could be commuted when they get out, they're not traumatized emotionally and looking for vengeance for the years of suffering they were put through. Like, it's like a, you can't be with your family, but you're chill, you're lull, it's okay. Compared to, you know, Hagrid, like, not like... You can, you can be sad around kids, but I feel like as an adult, you kind of have to like, you shouldn't rely on kids to support you during emotional times. Yeah, I think it's healthy for adults to demonstrate to kids that they too go through things and feel emotions and have bad days. But it's unhealthy to expect the kids to solve your problems or resolve what's causing your emotions. And they really are trying. Hermione being Hermione is immediately being very analytical and logical and looking for the practical response or the solution to what Hagrid's going through. And Ron, again, is doing his best to emotionally support him by making tea. And they're all in their own way doing their best. Harry not complaining to Hagrid about his own stuff right now. Like they're taking care of Hagrid in their own ways as best as they can and it doesn't seem like an appropriate thing for Hagrid to expect of them. Yeah. That's just kind of like the relationship with Hagrid where like Hagrid's the adult but they're more taking care of him. Not all adults are grown-ups. Yeah. And uh, sometimes the kids have to be the grown-ups. Yeah, we have talked about Hagrid kind of being stunted from like when he got expelled. Yeah, he hasn't really socialized as equals with a lot of adults, I don't think. So he still feels like he's a step below them. So he sort of acts that way, maturity wise. The trio are like really nice and they decide to spend like their Christmas break researching like hippogriff baiting and like going to find things to help Hagrid. Yeah. It's a good and healthy, productive focus of all their energy and Harry's having feelings. It does keep Harry distracted too, which I think Ron Hermione like because they're worried about him and just his anger. And because he's more thinking about Hagrid and Buckbeak, he's kind of distracted about all that stuff. And also it's kind of the perfect Gryffindor activity. Like they're working hard to defend the little guy from the big, mean government agency and like... It's the most, like, it's a cause for the, like, it's so Gryffindor to step in and help the defenseless, you know, which is Buckbeak. And it's the most classic Gryffindor. Like, if you needed to make up an activity to keep some Gryffindors distracted, that's, like, probably one of the first choices. A justice crusade for an innocent creature. Yeah, so we open up with Christmas morning where Harry and Ron are opening their gifts in their dormitory. More sweaters! Yeah, he gets the usual Weasley gifts and everything, but he gets um, a secret gift, which is a new broomstick, which is the Firebolt. Because Harry Potter, noted rich boy, couldn't possibly buy himself a new broomstick. I just feel like it's interesting that Harry gets all these surprise gifts being like a complete, like having a whole fortune and he gets all these surprise gifts. I mean, I guess it says something about his character that he has the money to buy himself things and doesn't. And it probably, they want the thing these particular items that he's gifted to feel special like to be more important to harry and emotional than just something if you buy yourself because he never really got gifts growing up most of his life so like it's a little bit like a harry's finally getting things and like harry who's so selfless he won't even buy himself a broomstick is gifted a broomstick i guess is sort of 
part of it, but also like Harry, just buy yourself a damn broomstick. It would have solved so many problems. This whole chapter wouldn't have happened if he just bought himself a broomstick. So much time. But uh, Ron's first guess is that Dumbledore gets to Harry the broom, which kind of makes sense because we know that Dumbledore sent Harry the invisibility cloak in the first book. And Harry just mentioned like, oh, that was actually my dad. So it's a family heirloom. So it doesn't really count as a gift. But then Ron thinks that Lupin may have sent to Harry. He's like, oh, Lupin likes you. And then Harry's like, well, Lupin can't afford this. And I just think it's interesting that Ron kind of connects the relationship because we do know that there's more to Lupin than has been shown at this point in the novel yet, especially his connection to Harry. Yeah. So even Ron can kind of notice there's something there. Yeah, I feel like Lupin is a very warm person when he wants to be, and I feel like he probably occasionally, like he, he's much more professional than most people, but I think at times maybe he treats Harry with a fondness that you would notice a bit differently, you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. He has, he has warmth towards Harry because he knows him. Even though Harry doesn't know Lupin. But uh, Ron also notes that Lupin wasn't in the hospital wing when um, uh, he was ill. So there's kind of more foreshadowing, like, what's going on with Lupin if he wasn't in the hospital wing when he was sick? Like, what was going on with him? I don't find that that suspicious to me. I mean, like, I know it's suspicious because it's a hint. But to me, like, it's like being sick but not having a doctor's note because he didn't go to the doctor. Like, your tummy aches or you're throwing up. You don't want to go to the doctor. And if it's just like you need an extra day of sleep and rest in bed and a cup of soup, why go to the hospital wing? It's very like an offhanded like thing that will play into later. Like we know that Lupin's not actually sick, but it's just this offhanded thing being like, oh, if he was sick, well, he wasn't in the hospital wing because I was doing my detention there and I didn't see it him. Yeah, yeah. I just think like, I, I, I never would have thought to be suspicious of that in Ron's case. I would have been like, I was sick. I wouldn't want to be in the hospital wing surrounded by other sick people. I'd want to be in my own bed, you know? So... They're kind of gawking over this broom because it's like a huge deal to them as, you know, Quidditch fans and the Maserati of brooms. Ooh, look at that handle. Ooh, those bristles are so bristly. Hermione comes in, but she brings Crookshanks with her, which I don't get. Like, I get her wanting to come see them like over the holidays and maybe get them their gifts in person because there's no one else there and she can get into their dorm and they can get into hers. But like she knows that Ron keeps uh, Scabbers in there and her whole thing with getting the cat was like, oh, don't worry, he'll stay in my dorm and yours will be in your dorm and they and they won't like, they won't attack each other. But you know, she, I don't, she doesn't think. <laughs> Brazenly carries her cat in and like Ron gets mad and I'm 100% on his side. Like she told him she'd keep it in her dorm. She brought it into his dorm. She knows the rat is sick and like that dorm is the only like safe place for that rat kind of and she just like brazen and even when they say Hermione your cat shouldn't be here. She does she kind of like ignores them and I'm like Hermione that's such a dick move. Like you've already proven you're so neglectful of pet owner, but now you're like neglectful of Ron's safe place, Ron's pet safe place. I take pet safety very seriously. And so this offends me deeply. But my other question is, we know the girls dormitory has a spell. So if the boys try and go into it, it turns into like a slide and they can't get in or something. But girls can just brazenly walk into boys dormitories. I think that's a little sexist. I'm saying if boys aren't allowed in girls' dormitories, girls shouldn't be allowed in boys' dormitories. I think it goes back to, like, the purity culture and, like, way back in, like, Regency era where, like, girls would never go into a boys' dormitory. Of course not. <laughs> but, like, it's just stupid. But, like, it was, like, to protect the girls. It just comes, like, back from, like, history, I feel like. 
Yeah, they've got to protect the delicate ladies from the boys, but the boys couldn't. There's no, no woman would ever think to go in the boys' dormitory. It's just like, of course not. <laughs> sort yourself out, Hogwarts. This sneakoscope that Harry got goes off um, when Crookshanks and Scabbers are running around, which is like an interesting foreshadowing hint because they think that the sneakoscope's like broken and like it's cheap, so it just goes off whenever. But it's actually accurate and letting them know there's a bad guy in town and harry actually notes that like after they get crookshanks like out of like the dormitory that um scabbers is not looking well like he looks sick and there's patches missing so it's kind of like a hint that peter knows what's going on like he knows that sirius tried to get him once and that sirius is probably coming back also he's probably a little concerned he might get eaten by a cat yeah <laughs> like it's a very that like if he's in mouse form or rat form and scabbers gets him I mean, he could try and transform, but it's a race against time. I wonder what happens living as, like, in your Animagus form for so many years. Like, what happens to you as, like, a human being? Like, it has to, like, mess up. I mean, you lose a lot of, like, social skills, but also just, like, his, like, posture would be different because of the way a rat moves. His, like, feet, he would have calluses and parts of his hands that you wouldn't normally, like... He would definitely have a terrible posture. His spine would have like curved in ways that are not normal for humans. I know a thing or two about that. I have scoliosis and it hurts. <laughs> and um, I think that he would probably have to like focus to turn back because he spends almost all of his time in the presence of wizards. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's made to, to transform back at the end of the book. He, he, like Sirius and Remus force him to change back. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if he can himself, but I think he probably could, but it would take a lot of focus and like it would be hard to turn back, I think. Yeah, because he's been living as a rat for like 12 years and I assume it's been c consistent, like he's never turned back into a human. Mm -hmm. Which kind of makes me think like if he was stressed out because he was being chased in rat form by by um crookshanks he could have just died like we could have never known the truth about peter Pettigrew, but and crookshanks could have eaten him like what a twist they find out like later from lupin where is your rat it's actually peter Pettigrew, and they're like funny story <laughs> like actually hermione sees the boys gawking over this broom and she's like like oh who's you that because obviously she knows it's a broom and like harry lost his broom and when they explain like oh it was sent to harry anonymously and it's super expensive and she's just like what and i do get hermione questioning it is smart because harry and ron are just kind of like they're just like oh some random person sent like this like crazy broomstick that's like super expensive and like yeah who does that and they're like oh this is great it's like it's like if a stranger in the back of a truck offered you an ice cream and you hopped in the back of the truck yeah anyone who's super into their sports or their anything really like if you have a passion and a hobby you can be so blinded by something that's really relates to that and that's something that's not really into it just like like here are the facts that are kind of sketchy but like you're like but no this thing is so cool and i'm obsessed with it it's a lot like internet scams you know what i mean no one's gonna send me like i'd be hermione if it was a link click this link to get a free car i don't drive i don't need a car i'm not interested I'm, you can't convince me to click your obviously spammy link but if it was click this link to get two tickets to taylor swift's era tours I might consider whether or not risking the virus is worth it. And that's sort of what this broom is for Harry, right? It's the thing a lot of people know he needs. It's expensive and it's fancy. So it's hella suspicious. Although I do think one suspect they should have considered to have gotten Harry the broom is actually McGonagall. The first time I read this, I was like, it's obviously from McGonagall. Mrs. Your safety is the first important thing except for Quidditch. That's actually the first important thing. Would totally buy the seeker yeah. of her team a better broomstick. <laughs> just so her 
her team will do better. And she'd get in trouble if people knew, so she'd do it anonymously. Like, that would be my first suspect besides the serial killer on the loose. Well, I think Hermione takes the serious Black stuff a lot more seriously than Harry and Ron take it because they're very classic Gryffindors where they're just like going about their life, doing bad things that will get them in trouble. And Hermione's just like, there's a mass murderer on the loose that's after one of my friends. And like everything could be like a sign that he's like trying to kill him. Yeah. But uh, Hermione's like not really trusting at the broom and Harry and Ron are just talking about how cool it is. And she's just kind of like, she like, kind of voices her like mistrust over it but nothing really else happens and they go down for their christmas dinner which is actually really cool because this is like the first year where like there's not a lot of students there so he has them all sit at one table and they're doing the wizard crackers again and snape gets a vulture covered hat in his cracker and like was this on purpose like the dumbledore know did he make this happen <laughs> because yeah big old witch hat with a vulture <laughs> Is Do- you mean is Dumbledore being a dick? Is he bullying Severus Snape right now? Yes, he probably is. Do we need a Dumbledore sucks count? <laughs> we should have started a long time ago. Dumbledore sucked from chapter one. 50 plus times. <laughs> one Dumbledore suck counts per chapter. Even if he's not there, he's manipulated everyone who is. And something interesting, uh, Trelawney actually comes to the Christmas feast, which he never does. And she was going to join, but then she makes this whole thing about the fact that like, oh, if she joins them, there'll be 13 people. And the first person to rise in a table of 13 will be the first to die. And it turns out both Harry and Ron stand up around the same time. And she tries to tell them, which one of you stood up first? And it's interesting because Ron almost dies in Half-Blood Prince. And Harry does actually die in Deathly Hollows. It could be a little foreshadowing there. If you keep in mind the fact that Peter Pettigrew is in Ron's pocket... There's already 13 people sitting at the table. And when Dumbledore stands up to greet Trilwani, he's the first to rise. And he's actually the first to die that sits at that table. Oh. Yeah. So she was correct about the assumption. She just didn't realize there was another person there. So the numbers were different than what we thought. That's cool. I forgot about Peter Pettigrew. Fun fact. Also, I missed a point up top, which was basically that when Hermione talks to McGonagall about the broom, she's not she's not going about it in the right way. And I think that's one of the big issues with Hermione is that she doesn't explain things very well. If she had just told Harry she thought the room was from Sirius and communicated that to them, they could have done some investigating as a team before going like full nuclear and having McGonagall have to take it. It just feels like sometimes Hermione will make decisions for everyone without consulting them. And I find those are the moments where she becomes the least likable. Like, it is correct for her to be worried, but she does not go about it the correct way. Yeah, it's like Hermione wants to take care of them, and I feel like she does everything with best intentions, but she never goes about it the right way. I feel like because she doesn't think Ron and Harry take things, like, she's taking care of them a lot, and I feel like she does things that she thinks is in their best interests, but she won't tell them that, and she won't give them, like, a, a choice in things. And I feel like this is her, like, Obviously, it's the right choice, and they accept that later on. Involve them in the discussion. But it's just like, she, yeah, she doesn't give them the option or even, like, the warning. Yeah. Yeah, she's just doing it like, oh, this is for, like, your best interest. Like, this is, like, she wants to take care of them and, like, save them because she doesn't trust them to make the right choice. Yeah, but Hermione, so she goes to McDonagall and tells them that she suspects that the room might be jinxed. 
And Ron and Harry are mad, and I, I do get why they are mad, but I, I don't know why, like, they aren't a bit concerned. Like, they didn't think about the Sirius Black stuff. They're just like, oh, cool broom. And I'm like, after everything they've learned about Sirius Black, shouldn't, like, they be like, oh, like, I guess that could be a thing. Yeah. But they're just, they're, and they didn't really, like, I get why they are mad at Hermione. She went behind their back and stuff, and they didn't, she didn't prepare them for it. But I feel like they should have been like, oh, like, she did it, like, for Harry's safety. She doesn't want Harry to die. I feel like you're never going to think that as a kid that's a level of like maturity that like i i would not i mean me i can see that the broom is probably risky but if someone went behind my back and made a decision for me without consulting me i would be so angry even if it was the right choice i'd be like it wasn't your place to make that decision for me and i think that's part of the anger it's just like you didn't understand the benefits of this thing at all. Like she didn't care for the broom either. Like she's like, whatever, it's a broom. She doesn't care about Quidditch. So that was it was a very nice gift, but then she it's just like the circumstances, the way it was sent with everything going on. Yeah, but it's it's, it's probably harder for them because they're losing something they actually care about on top of it having been like a safety risk. And for her, it's like she isn't losing something she was excited about or cared about. So like it they can't relate to her at all in her decision because she doesn't feel the repercussion of emotions that they're feeling probably like she hasn't lost something in the course of making that decision but they kind of lost something well they did make her lose something because they didn't talk to her for like i feel like it's like two months in the book just because she was like oh i think harry's gonna be like killed if he rides this broomstick i feel like it was a big big thing and i do wonder because harry like it opens up in the next chapter being like harry understands why hermione did it but he was still angry because he lost his really cool broomstick and now he doesn't have a broom for quidditch anymore but ron's also like very angry with hermione i feel like on behalf of harry but i do wonder if it's more about this thing that she did to harry or more about the fact that it's still the crookshanks and scabber stuff yeah absolutely it's piling on it's multiple things at once for sure it's just, these are all the things Hermione has done wrong recently, and we're mad about them now. I do feel bad for Hermione, because this is, like, the one thing that, like, Ron has valid reasons, but I feel like they can be angry with her, but, like, going, like, two months without speaking to her, and then, like, after they get the broom back, they're like, oh, like, you were wrong about it, but don't worry, we forgive you. And I'm just like, all she wanted was Harry to be safe. And I feel like I talked about this from a place of, like, experience, because I've talked about, like, reading this book was around the time like I lost all my friends in elementary school for like it felt like it was like months but it might have just been weeks because time is just so like much for that but I can definitely um really relate to just being like kind of like abandoned by your friends and you just have like nothing going on for you yeah we talked earlier about like her Bogart being like her sense of belonging too and I feel like she's still very unsure about her place in the friendship at this point and it just kind of like got rocked I would just like to point out that there are no Snape sucks points in this chapter. Blessed. The only one who kind of sucks in this chapter is is Hermione. Like, she doesn't deserve to be treated the way he, they treat her for as long as they treat her. But she really does invalidate their right to make their own choices and also, like, neglectful pet ownership. She lets Crookshanks almost eat scabbers in his dorm room. She makes decisions unanimously for the team, just like unilaterally makes the decisions without talking to them. I mean, it was a sense of her life and death. Like she thought Harry was going to die if he used that broom. So I feel like death is a pretty big motivator. Absolutely. I just think like, especially now, because Harry just learned about, hey, friends can betray you. And it's not actually a big betrayal. It's a bit of a dick move. But... 
And then Harry has one of his friends go behind his back and have something that he loves and is excited about taken away. So I don't think it's just Harry being mad at Hermione because she had his broom taken away. It's Harry being mad at Hermione because he's now realizing that your friends can act against you, which is how he sees it, right? So he's realizing, like, not only did I just learn that friends can betray you, but I learned that, like, my friends can betray me, you know? Like, I feel like part of how he's seeing it isn't, Hermione made a decision to protect me because she thought I couldn't make that decision. He's saying, Hermione, my friend who I love and trusted, did something against me, you know? And so he's seeing her sort of as Sirius in a way. Like his anger towards Sirius' relationship with his family has been sort of projected onto Hermione because she's taken on that role in his eyes as someone near him, tangible, who he can talk to or choose to ignore or not ignore. I think a friend that I got to appreciate is like she stand by, stands by her values. Like they're mad at her and she doesn't like kind of like waver at all. She's just like, you know, I, I did the best with what the information I had and I stand by it. Like I think that broom is could kill you and I'm not going to like repent or anything she definitely i feel like most kids if like your friends get mad at you for something usually you're just like i'm so sorry like like i didn't mean it like that and you're trying to like half apologize and half like make sure that they're still your friend and stuff but her mind was just kind of like she will die on this hill i also think she was very very confident that it was cursed i think part of her was not apologizing because part of her was also waiting to be proved correct well, her is about facts too like she won't she won't believe it's not cursed until they did the testing and when it's proven that it wasn't cursed she's like well now you know and now you you have evidence that it's safe and yeah, because Hermione can't trust guts or whatever that Ron and, and Harry do. She's just, she needs evidence to back up her decisions. And she's like, I wouldn't, can't go near that broom because it might be cursed. And if it's not cursed, then like, well, now you know it's not cursed. And it's all, it's all fine. This is our first kind of like the big friends fight in this book. There's a lot of growing pains. And so it starts with like Harry and Ron not talking to Hermione for months or two. And then there's a big blow up between Ron and Hermione that happens a bit later. So it's interesting. This is like the first book that kind of starts it off because I feel like having fights with your friends and kind of like making up and stuff, that's a part of growing up. And so this is kind of the first book that kind of start that starts it off. And it's interesting because I feel like what it comes down to is maturity levels in different areas. Hermione is more mature in Harry and Ron when it comes to like looking at the bigger picture and understanding the consequences of something. She knows it could be cursed. Harry could die. Someone could get hurt. But at the same time, she's really immature at understanding other people's feelings and things like that. So she doesn't realize how much worse it is to do it behind their back than it would be to just like explain to them why it's dangerous. So I feel like it's her being more mature about broader contexts, but still not being mature enough to have the communication skills or like the interpersonal skills to know how to express that to them. And so she just does it. I also think it's interesting how Harry is with uh, this fight with Hermione compared to Goblet of Fire when him and Ron have a falling out and it just hits him so much worse because he loves Hermione and like they're friends and stuff, but she's not Ron. And it's just very apparent like how much he relies on Ron. I mean, I think Ron, the role Ron fills in the friendship group of like the one who understands the wizarding world and stuff, and also the one who sort of provides a family for Harry mm-hmm. is something he can't get somewhere else. Like, or especially early on, Hermione's role a lot is like, she's smart and she's analytical, but Harry starts to get smarter sort of so like though he still needs Hermione he's a little more well-rounded later on I think but he's still you can't 
create your own I mean you can create your own family but he's a little young to do that so he 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 like that's it's not just Ron when him and Ron fight you know what I mean it's it's his whole family that he's the wizard family that is his wizard family which is the Weasleys yeah Hermione's just one person he doesn't have any relationship with her parents I mean maybe he gets a dental deal when he goes to have cavities filled but we don't know a free cleaning free clean hey you know what worth it (laughs) yeah but yeah it's interesting to see because like Hermione being important to him and an essential part of his life is true. But Ron is more than just Ron and Ron's role to him. He really is that bridge to family. I think it's also because, like, uh, and Chamber of Secrets, we, they talk about a lot about everyone thinking he's the heir of Slytherin, and Ron stands by him, and that means a lot. Mm-hmm. But in Goblet of Fire, Ron doesn't believe him, and I feel like that hit him a lot, that Ron just didn't believe him or have his back. Yeah. Ron, who always believes him, and sort of is almost always on his side on most things, even the broom thing. He's, you know, Harry and Ron. It's like Harry and Ron against the world. He's not used to Ron being on the other side of anything than him. And that, that hit him hard. Yeah. yeah. But do you have any closing remarks for this chapter before we sign off? I think it's great how, like, annoyed I, like, given that I know the broom, I, I would have 100% thought the broom was cursed and made sure someone looked into it. It's good how frustrated I am at Hermione, because it shows how well written... And how, like, believable these characters are. As a great, smart person like Hermione, who I would love in real life, for me to be this annoyed, like, why would you do it that way? Is, it speaks sort of wonders about the characters and how, like, complex they are. Because two chapters from now, I'm going to love her again. I just, like, I, I've talked about, this just hits too too close to home for me. I always hated reading this chapter in rereads because uh, just, like, the idea of fighting with friends and being, like, ostracized by your friends hurts. And I also just stick by the fact that Harry should have a grief counselor or some kind of therapist or trusted adult because he's been dealing with a lot of emotions lately and has nowhere to kind of vocalize them. Therapy. And no one has like his own interests, really. Yeah, he has no like advocate for him that's an adult who can communicate and understand the broader context and emotional needs. Because to some extent, everyone looks to Dumbledore for that. And Dumbledore is actually not invested in Harry's emotional well-being. That's all, folks. <laughs> Make sure you're following us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you stream the podcasts. And you can follow us on social media at Pottery Visited. And if you'd like to email us any theories or anything you want us to talk about in future episodes, you can email us at potterrevisitedpodcast.gmail.com. And we'll be back next time to discuss chapter 12 of Prisoner of Azkaban, the Patronus. Bye!